You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And this is actually a spoiler-free podcast. At this point in time, we have only seen the first episode of season two, whose name I don't know. Do you know the name of the episode? Nature Under Constraint and Vexed, I believe it is. Okay. So that's what we're talking about, this episode. And we just watched it. It just finished airing about 50 minutes ago. And so this is going to be a bit looser, I guess, than our (laughs) normal podcast. And maybe you're saying, thank God for that. But we just thought we would go ahead and get our kind of initial reactions out the door because we know if we come back to this episode, probably after the season is over, we're going to notice thousands of things that mean different things now. So first impressions it is. Right. Too hard to talk about theme stuff when we don't know where anything is going yet. Cause, exactly. Because it's the nature of the show. Exactly. So yes, it's spoiler-free in the sense that really there's nothing... Well, but it's not really spoiler-free because basically if you haven't watched the first episode, stop now. <laughs> it's spoiler-free in regards to the rest of the season. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with Sarah because the... We usually start with Sarah, and the episode starts with Sarah running away from Mrs. S's house, finding it to have been ransacked and her daughter and foster mother to be missing. Yes, and so we start off with the the shot of Sarah running through the rain, running like mad, and then of course there's the brief instance of, of slow-mo, and anybody who actually knows me in real life knows that slow-mo drives me crazy, but I find this an acceptable use. When, did, when was there slow-mo? I forget. Well, the the camera comes around because she runs around the corner and it catches up to her. And for like a second or a split second, it slows down into slow-mo. Okay. It's so little, Stephanie didn't even notice it, apparently. They did it very seamlessly. And, and so we see her go into this diner and we think she's just maybe going to, you know, recoup there and contact some people. But of course, it's over in black, so it's not that simple. And these two guys show up. The woman just wanted some tea. I know. She just wanted some tea. So I think you and I, we knew pretty immediately that these were not dyad folks. Right. Well, they come in and they start talking about the eggs and whether they're free range and all this sort of thing. And they seem very insistent upon the eggs coming from chickens who had not been... Interfered with, I think, is the word that you Yes, used. you're right. That is the word they use. So obviously, those... Dudes are with the Prolethians, right? Clearly. I thought so, too. And I was surprised Sarah didn't suss that out. Me, too. You would think... But then she's under a lot of stress, so that can kind of mess with your head, I suppose. Yeah. Something big just happened. We'll, We'll give her a pass. And she did seem fairly convinced already that the Neolutionists had taken Kira. So I think it's one of those things she'd already convinced herself that that's what had happened. But, you know, I knew not to trust these guys because their shirts were buttoned all the way up to the top button. I never trust anybody whose shirts are buttoned that way. Especially on TV, yes. Especially on TV. Uh, Well, I trust Sherlock over on Elementary. He often wears his shirts that way. That is true. You're right. But otherwise, it's not a good look. I'm just going to put a a little plea out to the fashion community. Can we stop that look? Can we just please? Because it really, it's not sexy. It makes you look like your parent dressed you. But isn't that what those guys are going for, probably? Probably, but I'm just saying, that's like a thing. Like, for people to button their shirts up all the way, it seems like right now. And I don't like it. I want us to get over this whole thing. Unless you're going to wear a tie, do not button your shirt up Mm -hmm. all the way. Mm -hmm. Well, the one guy did have a bolo tie. 
which I know you don't acknowledge as real ties. I didn't even notice it. I think I was blocking it out. <laughs> you really didn't notice it? No. Wow. <laughs> I'm surprised she didn't have... That explains why you didn't comment on it earlier. That's why. I didn't... I didn't... Apparently, I just kind of overlooked it. I just didn't want to acknowledge the hideousness of the bolo tie. Stephanie hates bolo ties, you guys. Yeah, you didn't know. So we also learned in the diner scene that the other clone phones have been disconnected, which kind of confused me later because Allison had her phone out. Maybe maybe I missed where, where Felix mentioned that the clone phones had been disconnected, but she had hers later. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe she was expecting a call and... Well, I mean, maybe Felix forgot to mention it to her. Maybe. But I don't know. I guess I was. she would have been able to tell at that point, it seems like. But maybe I'm wrong. So thanks to the help of the, the restaurant guy, the short order cook, Sarah's able to elude the Prolethean people and make a very impressive exit out through the wall. <laughs> First of all, that poor guy, he was being super helpful and super nice, and it got him killed. Yeah. And it made me sad. It made me really sad, too. But, you know, Sarah just spends most of this episode basically being our action hero, and I, she's a lot more comfortable in that position this season than she was last season. Like you imagine her at the end of the first season where she's at the end of the first episode of season one, where she's having to deal with Katja's body. And it's just like, Oh my God, what is happening? She's able to take these weird occurrences in her life a lot more in stride. Well, she's been dealing with this crap for an entire season. Exactly. Exactly. So we see her for the rest of the episode playing kind of this cat and mouse game with the diet Institute and you know, setting up this really elaborate meeting with Paul on the bridge and evading Daniel Rosen, who I, who is seeming more and more to be not a lawyer, as we suspected. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that guy weirds me out. I know. I know. And we see her set up Allison to be a patsy. Poor, poor Allison. I wonder if that's ever going to get back to Sarah that she did that to Allison. I wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. I hope, I would hope maybe Sarah would apologize and that Allison would take it in stride, but it's Allison, so probably not. <laughs> I do think Sarah would probably apologize. Yeah. I think we've gotten to the point where that's likely. Yeah. I hope. And we get, in the first episode, we get a clone pretending to be another clone with Sarah pretending to be Kasima. And this is the first time we've really had that opportunity. We'd mentioned this before because Kasima was off on her lonesome. She didn't have to impersonate anybody, and she didn't get impersonated because of the distance, but we get to see Sarah pretend to be Kasima. And there were four of us watching the episode together, and we're like, Sarah, you're not walking like Kasima at all. <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> but yeah, she was not really nailing down the, the physicality most of the time, because she knew she wasn't being super scrutinized. I liked, though, when she started talking to Leaky, the hands came up, and <laughs> <laughs> the gesturing started. I kind of missed that. I'll have to watch it again. Oh, I, that's why I snickered at that point, was because the hands <clears throat> came up. And we're inching toward Leaky, but... I could not stop laughing when she hugged him. I know, I know. That was, yeah. But then I saw her take the bat, and I went, oh, that's why. Mm-hmm. Like, even Kasima, I don't think, would do that. But No. I don't know why Sarah would think she would do that. It was what I was thinking at the time. And then, oh, she's she's doing her con thing and stealing from him. And then it all made sense. And then we also see Sarah having encounters with Art and with Angie, and we have Art really working the connection that he and Sarah kind of have forged because they pretend, you know, she was pretending to be his partner for a time. And 
going back a bit, I was glad to see Angie again immediately. <laughs> Me too. I really, we really like Angela DeAngelis, plus we really like Inga Cadronel, who plays her, so I was happy to see her. And I liked that we got to see Art really working that trust that he's built with Sarah. And at this point, I'm not entirely sure what he's going to do with it. I feel like he's not as out to get her as Angie is. But what exactly he's going to do with this information now that she's, she seems to be starting to open up to him, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering, too, where they're going to go with that. Because, yeah, I think you're right. It seems like Angie's big thing is sort of, you know, there's the exchange we were talking about before where Felix said something about impersonating a dead officer is like a whole new crime. And I feel like that's really what Angie is focused on. Because, you know, that's, it's pretty bad. Let's be honest, it's pretty bad. But I think... Art is really aware that there's some greater thing going on, and it's really weird. And I think because Art was the one who went and saw the footage of Beth stepping in front of the train, I think maybe that part has especially motivated them, such that he's aware that there's some greater weirdness going on. And so I think he's really, in some sense, trying to finish Beth's business for her or something, if that makes sense. Well, and as we see from the last scene between the two of them, he's made some progress on the Maggie Chen case. He's figured out that she is a religious extremist. He calls her a Prolethean. Mm-hmm. He calls the, the two guys the, who were supposedly perpetrated the crime at the diner Prolethians as well. So I feel like he probably hasn't necessarily shared that information with Angie. I could be wrong. Maybe he has. But it feels like he's been going back to the Maggie Chen case and move, getting some movement on that. And he does say, well, when, at the end of the episode, he says something about Helena. And he, I forget, does he say it first or does Sarah say it first? I think maybe Sarah says it first, but then he immediately says something in response to that and then follows that with, yeah, let's talk about Helena. And just the way that he said it basically indicates that he was aware of Helena's existence. He didn't seem surprised because I don't think he ever, he ever encountered Helena at all. And I would think that they hadn't brought her up. So I find it interesting that he seems aware of Helena too. And of course, since this episode picks up right where the last one left off, when has he been doing this? Yeah. When has he made this progress in the, the one night that, Sarah has been away from him, I guess? It's possible that he found out the Prolethean stuff from the federal investigators who took over the case at the diner. Right. I can, I I can assume, buy that, yeah. I assume that's where that came from. Right, but but figuring out, you know, oh, Maggie Chen was a religious extremist like these guys, I'm not entirely sure where that came from. Maybe the right. same for- source, but... And the Helena stuff. And yeah. the Helena stuff, for sure. So we, you know... We had the mystery of who took Kira at the end of the season, and they still haven't gotten to that by the end of this episode. We know it's not Dyad. They're, we're leaning more toward maybe it was the Prolethians. That's certainly what it sounds like. That's, yeah, that's that's what it seems. We did not see Mrs. S at all in this episode. So I'm, I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm not entirely ready to say, oh, it's the Prolethians who have her because the show likes to mislead us. I'm still holding out hope that maybe Mrs. S took her to a safe house and, and she's and she hasn't been taken by either organization, but I'm probably going to be wrong, so. 
But why were they roughly brushing her hair and then taking a picture of her? Is there any sound more upsetting than a camera flash? No. On TV, I mean. No. It's it's only no- vaguely... Nothing good comes after that. It's only vaguely upsetting in, in real life, but on television, there is no more upsetting sound to me. <laughs> I told you I'm probably wrong. I'm just holding out hope. I understand. So Rachel, clone we saw the least last season, had a decent amount of screen time in this episode. We see her really ramping up her sort of cat and mouse game with Sarah, leading to that pretty intense confrontation at the toward the end of the episode. That was kind of awesome. Yeah, that real okay, first of all, really good technical TV making there with with having both Sarah and and Rachel believably have that confrontation and be that close to each other. Way to go. Good job. You know, you could a little tell it was CGI, but it was pretty darn seamless, especially for a television show. Big kudos to the Orphan Black technical team there. Good work. And it was interesting to hear her try to connect with Sarah on a we're both clones level. She had that moment where it's like, we'll find Kira together. And yeah, that did not fly with Sarah at all. (laughs) And, you know, why would it? No, I do not blame Sarah. Yeah. Although this brings up an interesting point that I think I've forgotten to mention on everything we've talked about before. (laughs) Okay. But a thought I had, and I think I've seen others comment on this before too about Rachel. Okay. In the last episode of the first season, Sarah is talking to Mrs. S about how Amelia had said something about how she'd overheard the scientist talking about a child raised by the organization. Right. Uh Uh-huh. And of course, every indication from that was that it was supposed to be Sarah and Helena, or what ended up being Sarah and Helena. But of course, because they were given away, it wasn't them. So of course, it's Rachel. So basically, Rachel is in the position that Sarah was, you know, by birthright Mm -hmm. supposed to have. Mm -hmm. Right. So in some sense, you could see how Rachel could have an extra weird chip on her shoulder. Maybe. I don't know. Yes, I agree. Rachel could definitely have a be holding a grudge against Sarah because of the fact that she ended up in the place that was intended for Sarah. I also found the interaction between Rachel and Leaky very interesting, because we'd only ever really seen Rachel interact with Daniel Rosen, and we I think we even mentioned we were unclear her place in the organization. But she seems to have more authority than Leaky. Right. It seemed like that a little bit at the end of season one. But I think we we got confirmation in this episode. She says as much that she's higher up than than Leaky is. So it's curious. I find it somewhat curious just because the fact that she's what twenty nine or something twenty eight twenty nine yeah like the rest of the clones. How does one rise to power that fast? I guess the fact that she was born into the organization would have helped, but it does seem seem curious. But I found their interaction. Interesting, because there was a, a kind of an intimacy between the two of them, a familiarity, I guess. I wouldn't say that they're, I'm not trying to imply that they're having a, a sexual relationship or anything like that, but there was definitely a familiarity between the two of them and kind of a friendliness, but Rachel was still being very clear about the fact that you do not need to be concerned about this thing that I am doing. You are below me in the ranking system. Right. Well, she goes in and she ties his bow tie for him. So there is that sort of... It's it's a vaguely, like a vaguely paternal, I guess, mm-hmm. or maybe not, but but yeah, I agree. Your overtones of 
familial relationship there, mm-hmm. which makes her power tripping all the stranger. Or maybe not. I don't know. Depends on the family, right? Yes. <laughs> and then Rachel has her meeting with the, we think they were Korean scientists. We, we believe we heard she mentioned that both Koreas were coming in for a meeting. And she mentions the Supreme Court case that we mentioned in our clone science episode. It was a recent Supreme Court case that talked about natural versus synthetic DNA, and you could patent something that you found in, in synthetic DNA, but you couldn't patent something created out of natural DNA. And she says that they influenced the legislation, and it went the way that they intended, and it's kind of part of the dyad's plan. And so I like that the show is being aware of what's happening in the real world and incorporating it into the show's verse. And of course, when the Supreme Court ruling came out, everybody who's in Clone Club at the time was sort of like, well, what does that mean for the show? And so, of course, then the observation is, well, that's really, because it's a Supreme Court ruling, so it's it's a United States ruling, and technically they're not in the United States, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they have clones in the U.S., but they seem to be based in Canada, they seem to be based in Toronto, and just because there's this ruling in the United States does not necessarily mean that it affects their their experimentation at all. So, But I, I did like that the show brought that, mentioned that specifically, I liked that a lot. Although I'm curious, too, because of, again, the exchange in 110, were they originally based in Europe? Yeah, I have that question, too, especially since they seem to be insinuating that Amelia was recruited by the organization to to carry the pro-clone, the original pro-clone, and obviously she was was in the UK. Mm Mm-hmm. Questions. We have lots of questions. As and we, we did do. see the Project Lita photo again. Sarah had it. We didn't get any more movement on that, but they did remind us of the photo. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Rachel, as well as toying with Sarah in this in this episode, we see her toy with poor Paul quite a bit. And I mentioned personally I had a big question mark as to what was going to be Paul's fate at the beginning of Season 2. And we see, I think, in this episode, he's very deeply entrenched in the organization still, but he seems to be still allied with Sarah. Right, as much as he can be, because Daniel Rosen basically tells him, if you help her again, you know, I'll kill you, is essentially what he says. So, so what is what is keeping him from killing Paul if he so clearly wants him out of the picture, I'm wondering? Well, Rachel tells him something about his usefulness right, in, in that he knows, knows Sarah. Sarah mm, right? That's right. Good point. Because they want Sarah. In case you hadn't noticed that, that was the big thing. They want Sarah. So moving over to Allison's storyline, okay, it seemed like from Sarah's storyline, Kasima's storyline, that the time picked up pretty quickly, and it did. It was clearly supposed to have just continued from where we left off at the end of season one. But Allison, it's like she suddenly had this musical project she'd been working on for a very long time that we had no idea about. It turns out that the entirety of season one, in between the times she's being on standby for Sarah, or taking Sarah to the gun range, or whacking Donnie in the head with a golf club, or going to couples counseling. When she's not doing all of that, she has been rehearsing for a musical. Yes, and was kind of the, it seemed like maybe had a very prominent role, but was not the lead. And we see her get the lead in the musical. And oh my gosh, this musical is hysterical, but not intentionally so. Well, intentionally by the Orphan yes, Black Writers. Yes, intentionally by the television show, but not intentionally by the Glendale community players, unfortunately. <laughs> How meta. 
But how hilarious was the musical? I mean... <laughs> more hilarious than Cats. More hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Cats. And... I, you know, clearly the writers just kind of playing up the ridiculousness with, you know, oh, and let's let's start with the scene where you're helping her clean up after the accidental grizzly murder. <laughs> <laughs> that song, what the hell is that song? I don't know. I don't know. But the let's wipe, wipe, wipe up the plasma. <laughs> that was not the tune, but that was the lyrics. <laughs> The bottle of bleach and the mop and mm-hmm. oh and, man! And I was tickled that that Allison's character was not helping because of her asthma, and I I liked that because Tatiana Maslany does have asthma, so I let it seemed like kind of a nod to the fact that she does the actress does in fact have asthma. Um, the inhaler. <laughs> I love this show. I love this show so much. And it was also fantastic seeing Allison by the. The unregistered gun from Ramon, who I kind of loved. <laughs> How much did you love Ramon? I did not love him as much as Raj. But if we don't get to see Raj again, Ramon might become the new Raj for me because he was pretty darn adorable. But it seemed like he was flirting with Felix, and I do not want Ramon to get in the way with from between Felix and Colin, unless Colin is no more on the show. Stephanie's put her foot down. I have boundaries. <laughs> Ramon can be the new Raj for me, but he better not be the new Colin. I see how it is, Stephanie. <laughs> and then Allison, of course, asks him how his mom is. <laughs> because of course she would. Yes, because that's what you do when you go and buy uh, an illegal weapon, is you inquire how their mom is doing. Because she needs a peace maker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Allison. And, uh, and apparently she's been buying her happy pills off Not from a pharmacy. She's been getting them from Ramon as well. I found that bit kind of interesting. I had always assumed that she had gotten a legal prescription from her doctor. Well, that's what Beth was doing. Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. Apparently Beth wasn't sharing either. I know. No sharesies for Allison. (laughs) Even though she totally did sharesies with Felix, no sharesies for Allison. And then... She send when she can't give the gun to Sarah because Sarah's being arrested by Art and Angie. Because of course she is. She sends the gun in a flower bouquet. With, because of course she does. With Ramon as the delivery guy and a handmade note and a handmade <laughs> card. Are you mocking me? I made that card. Of course she did. It's pink and glittery. Of course she did. <laughs> so Allison's mainly mainly some. Some comic relief in this episode. She's useful in getting Sarah a weapon. We briefly see Donnie in briefs in his underwear again. How many scenes has Donnie had in his underwear? That's got to be at least the third or fourth. And so we have kind of a sense of where Allison's life is, but we don't get a lot of further development on her storyline in this episode. Though we do get to see her get attacked and fairly admirably defend herself, I thought. Yes. That guy totally took an elbow to the face. Mm -hmm. Which, way to go, Allison. And and the whistle and the uh, the mace, which she would have maced herself too. She would have. You you get when you mace somebody or you pepper spray somebody, it blows back in your face. And she was aiming it not away from her eyes at all, so she would have. She should have been more affected. But then, so should have. I was going to say the other guys didn't didn't take too much of a hit either. So so maybe she hadn't replaced was her it breath spray. I don't know, but maybe because she used it on Vic. Joke. Maybe she hadn't replaced it yet, and it was getting kind of low. Oh. Uh, That's my headcanon. 
And now it's mine. <laughs> and then we have Cosima and Delphine. And the way it starts off, apparently there had been some sexy times in between the last we see of them in the first season and now. Yes. Because Delphine is not wearing pants. Yes. Or a I shirt. didn't realize that until the very last little bit of that scene where, where it's it's Delphine's side and she goes in to hug Cosima. It's like, oh, that's her bra. Okay. <laughs> because I was wondering, clearly... Evelyn Borchu's hair has gotten longer since the end of season one, and I was wondering why they didn't have it put up in that scene, since it had been up when we'd seen them last, and then Chris was all, well. Yeah, she was wearing, well, it was the last time we saw her, too. Yeah, so, good point, but. Well, because this was, this is the first time Stephanie and I have actually watched an episode of, I think, anything together in correct. the same room. Yes. So, there was snarking to be had during the commercials. Yes. Well, not really snarking, but stuff like that. So, comments about nakedness. No. <laughs> so they have their, you know, sexy times, and of course it ends in science stuff, because they're the science girlfriends, because we see Delphine drawing Cosima's blood. And we see Cosima tell Delphine, you know, the blood's not going to go to Dyad, I do my own tests. We see her contacting Scott about getting him to run lab tests again on new samples. But, but... We see Delphine have a scene with Leaky in which she gives him a vial of Cosima's blood and tells him that subject 324B21 is showing symptoms just like the other two. So Delphine, you better not be screwing over Cosima. I want to think you do it because you care and you want her to get better. And so you're giving this information to Dyad, but you better not screw Cosima over. I'm just starting to trust you. Well, she does tell Leaky, I'm invested just like you wanted. So, yeah, I mean, my my feeling on the matter, my, my guesstimation here, is that she is sort of, I mean, she is basically playing both sides here. Because I think to some extent she kind of has to in order to potentially not die. We don't know. <laughs> well, to not die nor betray her heart. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie's totally laughing at me. I am. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I think she's doing the best she can with the circumstances that are at play. And yes, I, this is me being wildly optimistic. But, you know, I, I have faith in Delphine okay. and her hair. Uh, her lovely magical hair. <laughs> That's why it grew from the end of season one to now, is she has magical hair that can just grow several inches over the course of several hours. But yeah, so we see we see Delphine say, you know, I'm invested just like you wanted. And she seems kind of hostile toward Leaky in that moment. And we see her later when she thinks it's Kazima, but it's actually Sarah, shows up to the diet event. She kisses her in this big room full of people that she knew Leaky would be around. So she's being very open about her relationship with Kazima, it seems like. And she seems to be cutting ties with Leaky a bit from the end of, of season one, it mm -hmm. seemed to me. Yeah. I'm... Also curious to see where this is going to go. This is this is my big comment from this episode. I'm curious where they're going to go with this. Yeah. <laughs> so, well done on the premiere, guys. We are curious. You got what you wanted. <laughs> Show. Another thing I found really interesting in the exchange between Delphine and Leaky is that Leaky says, you know, you're, you're eugenicist. Does that label bother you or something to that extent? And she says no, though I don't fully believe 
she actually means it when she says no. She kind of had the look on her face that she had in her previous scenes with Leaky last season, where yeah. she was kind of like, Because I feel like what we've seen from Delphine in the first season is that she was very committed and, tr- and intrigued by Leaky's intelligence and ideas at the beginning, but by the end of the season is less so, especially when they find the synthetic part of the DNA with the patent. So I feel like she's not entirely truthful when she says no. And it reminded me of the the exchange that we sort of hear the end part of between Cosima and Delphine, and I believe it's in episode 106. Yes, it's after they go to the, the lecture, the Neolution lecture, and Delphine is saying, no, it's not eugenics. And so very much denying, oh, it's not eugenics, but here he calls her. Eugenical. Sp- yeah. It's, it's not, not eugenical. eugenical. But here he very... Is it sp- utopian? Maybe neotopian. And then I always wonder, what the hell is neotopian? It's a made-up word. So, Leaky very explicitly calls her a eugenicist in this, even though she was trying to deny that it was eugenical in the previous season. Right. I really loved in the scene where Sarah was pretending to be Cosima. I loved getting to see Delphine realize that Cosima was not Cosima. I know, and that scene was in the promotional stuff, and so I'd convinced myself that Delphine knew it was Sarah and not Cosima. So I was kind of surprised that she didn't seem to know when the scene started but I was glad that they showed her figuring it out because so often in stuff like this where they, there's the scene and like the person doesn't know when they're fooled. And as a viewer, you're kind of like, well, how do they not know? <laughs> so I'm glad that they showed Delphine realizing that it wasn't her and then, you know, immediately calling her on it. And of course, what's interesting too is thinking about it, Delphine has never met Sarah. Mm-mm. So that's quite an introduction. <laughs> I Yeah, I was kind of surprised at how frosty Sarah was toward Delphine, but it makes sense. I, she probably hasn't... She doesn't have the information, probably, that, that Cosima has about Delphine. I mean, you know, she... Well, that's not true, because they, they talked at that point, Cosima and Sarah, but I, I feel like Sarah's probably still really suspicious of Delphine and doesn't entirely trust her, What especially what with ha- just happened with Paul. Right, and also that... They didn't know whether she ratted to Dyad about Kira. Mm-hmm. Like, they still don't technically know. Right. So. Right. Because Delphine said she didn't, but she could be like. Right. So. Sarah doesn't know her. Sarah doesn't know. Yeah. But yeah, I, I really liked that scene. And to Delphine's credit, she saw her girlfriend across the room and very quickly was just, you know, oh, hi, sweetie, and kissed her. And once she actually started, like, listening to her talk, she realized pretty quickly that it wasn't. Cosima. So I'm going to give her a pass on kissing the wrong person. Right. Although, and and let's talk about this, the fact that Sarah basically just got Cosima a lab of her own. I know. <laughs> I Possibly. Know. So, Cosima, <laughs> don't say Sarah never did anything for you. <laughs> so I noticed when, when Sarah Hat and Felix were sort of looking at the gun that Allison had sent, and Cosima's in the background with the flowers in the kitchen area of Felix's apartment, you hear her coughing. And then the sound you hear after that is the sound of every Clone Club member weeping. Yes. Because no, not Kazima. Not any of them, but especially not Kazima. And then <laughs> our last clone of the episode, Helena. She's alive. Thank goodness. I know, that whole time. Ugh, all the stress for the past ten months. Because I was sitting through the episode and I think, you know, this episode's good, but it lacks the unpredictability when Helena's around and oh, there she is. (laughs) Shabam. Shabam. (gasps) The unpredictability is back, but for how long? Because we see the creepy Prolethean guy 
with his shirt all buttoned up again and the fishy belt buckle. Flying fishy belt buckle. Yeah, I also don't trust people with big belt buckles. You're in Texas. How do you survive? I don't very well, clearly. (laughs) I don't like bolo ties or big belt buckles. Get away from me. Okay, so I'm worried about her. If if the Prolethean people might now be after her because she turned on Tomas. And what happened to Tomas? It was a question. But again, this leaves us wondering because, you know, the, the me- medical crew people, the, the doctors and such, are wondering how she survived this gunshot wound. Magical healing powers because we also see Sarah in this episode. We see the cuts and stuff on her face getting better. And you might say that that is perhaps a continuity error. I think it's purposeful that her her face is healing more quickly than it should be. And we've talked about this a lot, especially with Sally. So we'll see how accurate Sally's completely rational explanation is. I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. Can you tell? (laughs) So excited! (laughs) And then, of course, we have to talk about Felix. There was not enough Felix, though we did see a lot of Felix. (laughs) Since he was wearing bumless leather chaps. I, I kind of love that Felix was, like, holding court yes, at with, the club. with, like, five men piled on top of him, it seemed like. Or he was sitting on the laps of five men, one, one, one or the other. And, I, I, you know, kudos to the show. Again, we had a naked bum in the premiere episode, though not nearly as many as we did in the premiere episode of season one. Something else to get edited out when they're airing them earlier in the day. There you go. (laughs) And then it was also, of course, delightful to see Felix being very high around both Sarah and Allison, but the the pads of your thumbs are so springy. (laughs) Bouncy, doesn't it? Bouncy, yes, bouncy. (laughs) Which for some reason is funnier to me. Yeah, yeah. Bouncy. Bouncy. I think, and I also enjoyed seeing Felix smoking out with, with Kasima, them both enjoying some pot together, which it makes sense to me. We haven't really seen a lot of Felix and Kasima interacting, but I feel like they should be able to, to share a, a joint, don't you? <laughs> well, now, now they will. Hopefully. Now that Kasima's in town. Yeah, I'd like, to, I'd love to see more Felix and Kasima since we see a lot of, we've seen a lot of Felix and Allison and Felix and Sarah, obviously. I'd like to see their relationship develop a bit more. And it makes me wonder if they're going to have Kasima stick around in Toronto for a while. Well, it sounds like it, because wasn't that part of Delphine's exchange with Leaky was, Here, you know, well, where yeah. is Kasima? And she's she's exactly where you want her, in town or something. Considering that? a job. Right. Yeah. So hopefully she will stick around and there'll be more clone-on-clone stuff. Oh, again, another obviously complicated, technical, brilliant scene where we had... Sarah and K- and Kasima and Felix all in the apartment together, and then they, you know, Skype in Allison at the same time. And then I rather loved both from for what Felix said and from what Kasima said, where when Felix is all, I smelled lesbians in my bed last night, and Kasima replies, I will not apologize for my heart. <laughs> because, of course, that's a completely rational response to that statement. Of course. Well, it's a completely rational statement followed by a completely... I'm joking. It's not rational. None of that conversation was rational because they're both high. <laughs> <laughs> but it did make me make me wonder because Felix calls her a lesbian and Kasima does not correct him if Kasima is identifies as a lesbian because she's not really talked about it. The Before the producers had generally talked about the producer slash show... Promo, promotional material, I guess, had usually referred to Kasima as bisexual. 
but we've only ever seen her in a relationship with a woman. So that does make me wonder. It's like, okay, are they going with Kasim as a lesbian? I am kind of curious about that. I guess we'll find out. Mm-hmm. And then I was really excited. Just I have a few little stray things that I wanted to mention. You, if you were watching BBC America like we were, they had one of the little kind of what's coming this season on on, on Orphan Black with with John Fawcett and Graham Manson during one of the commercial breaks. Oh, the, the insider promo. There we go, the insider promo. Mm-hmm. And maybe that helped you recognize the fact that John and Graham make a cameo in this episode. They are, like, being photographers and interviewers talking to Leaky outside of the event. Yes, there's a a shot of John Fawcett taking a picture of Leaky with Graham Manson. Yes. While wearing suits. Yes. Now, did you you realize it was them before I shouted that? (laughs) I wasn't looking at the screen, actually. I was writing a note. And so when you're like, hey, it's John and Graham, I looked up and I realized, hey, it's John and Graham. So it was, I like that they, they got a little cameo in this episode. And then, so I wanted to mention that. I also wanted to mention we were both very excited to see that Aileen Brochu had been added to the opening credits. Yes. So she's a main cast member this season. Though, sadly, Michael Mando is no longer listed in there. Who played, who plays Vic. Right. Which is not surprising to me. They'd left Vic's storyline where they could very easily kind of wrap it up. Right. I, I kind of think... If they bring him back, it'll be in a, like, very... Guest star type role? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So we were excited to see Evelyn in there because we like we like her a lot. And she did become such a prominent part of the series by the end of the first season that mm-hmm. it, it seemed like they were going to be keeping her on, so... Especially if they have Kasima take this job at Dyad, it seems like... Like, Delphine's going to be a very important... Right. It does look like the season's going to have a lot more stuff going on at Dyad. Mm-hmm. And possibly even with the Prolethians. So I'm curious about that. And then I also wanted to mention, I found I, we, we heard when Dyad Institute was first started, Leaky mentions, ni- mentioned 1918 was when the cornerstone of the Dyad Institute was first laid. And I just wanted to make a note of that. It might be important, it might not. I totally missed that. So thank you for... Writing it down. You're welcome. On your fancy Dyad Institute notepad. I know. I was making notes on my Dyad Institute notepad. Thank you, Orphan Black Tumblr, for sending us goodies. Orphan Black goodies. Thank you, Opie Tumblr. We love you. the other thing I wanted to mention was when Leaky was practicing his speech, he had this line that said, To combine is to create, to engineer is divine. And so again, already we have this conflict between science and religion that's being brought up very, very prominently. Or very, very quickly in the series. And clearly we're seeing more Prolethians this season already, so I'm very curious to see where those those conversations go. Mm-hmm. But I guess so overall... I'm you, so worried for our protagonists at this point. Yeah. It's really hard not to be. I mean, I know that's the... That's, that's the, the point. point. Yeah. But... So overall, do you... do What do you... Did you like the, the premiere? I did. It was very exciting, I had to hold in the excited sound at the end of the episode. I had a, like a sound of excitement that I, I squashed down. So when Helena showed up? Y- pretty much. Okay. I was excited. I've never been so excited to see somebody so badly injured and bleeding in my life. But I was like, Helena! <laughs> I was very excited. And yeah, I would say I generally, I, I enjoyed the episode. It was very weird watching it with commercials, though. I've only ever watched it <laughs> on DVD. And it was just, oh, commercials are the worst. That occurred to me the other day. 
that, like, geez, a lot of people who are super into the show now have probably, A, never watched it with commercials, and B, never had to wait a week between episodes. And then I laughed and said, ha ha, suffer with me, all of you. So hopefully you are suffering with us and you're watching the show from week to week. We're, we are very excited that season two is finally here. Please send us your thoughts on this premiere episode. We would love to hear them. You can send us an email to feedback at TatianaIsEveryone.com. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at TatianaIsEveryone.com. Or you can leave us a voice message by clicking on the Send Voicemail tab on the right side of the website. You can also follow us on Twitter at TIE Podcast. And this week, both Felix's bumless chaps and Allison's flower arrangement were played by Tatiana Masani. Thank you for listening.